Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. We join our Chaldean Catholics in prayer to the Mother of God for peace in the Middle East. Mother of God, Virgin Mary, be for us a safeguard from all illnesses and hardships. Through the great love you have for Christ, ask and beseech him to be merciful to us, to give healing to our ailments, to console the downtrodden, to unite those who are scattered, and to forgive us. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Well, this week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, it reminds me of those baton races. Do you ever see those baton races, especially in the Olympics? They have four runners, and they have to pass a baton between them. And, of course, the last runner comes around to the finish line with the baton. But in order to pass the baton to each other, especially successfully, which is an art in itself, very critical, you can't drop the baton. The runner with the baton, while they're still running at full gait, has to then catch up to the runner ahead of him because that runner already is getting a head start. In other words, they just don't stop and hand it off. They have to do it without breaking the motion, the momentum. So the one runner ahead is already starting out on his journey or her journey while waiting for the baton carrier behind him or her to catch up and then make the great exchange of the baton. Well, that's something like what's happening this week. We have really the ending of the whole period of the Incarnation, you know, that which began with Christmas, the birth of Christ, you know, his enfleshment, God's enfleshment, the invisible God become visible, first as a little baby in a manger. And then finally, as we come to the feast of the presentation of our Lord in the temple, where he's presented as a child to Simeon, or as we call it in the Eastern churches, the encounter of our Lord with Simeon in the temple. As we come to that, we're ending that great period of the incarnation. That's right, it's gone on this long. But as we're doing that, at the same time, just like the baton race, we have an overlap here 
the season of Lent, especially the pre-season, the build-up to it, has already started its running. It's already started to go. So, <laughs> so we have a successful passing of the baton from the time of the incarnation to now the time that enters us into Christ's death, you know, his suffering, death and resurrection. That, of course, begins with the Lenten season, and the Lenten season begins with the pre-Lenten season. Because what we have today, Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, is one of those preparatory Sundays for Lent, or in other words, the Great Fast. Today is called the Sunday of the Prodigal Son. And as I mentioned, though, the next day, tomorrow, will be the Feast of the Encounter of Our Lord with Simeon in the Temple. It's interesting that the Eastern churches refer to this as the encounter. The Latin Rite Church refers to it as the presentation of our Lord in the temple. Now, we can use it interchangeably. The Eastern churches do use the word presentation of our Lord in the temple. But this is another one of those moments when we have an illustration of very much what the message or mission of this program is is to present the gifts of the church, East and West, but primarily the gifts of the Eastern churches. And in doing so, one of the points that we maintain, and this is a point that we think contributes towards ecumenism, because we're very ecumenically minded here in this program. We want to work towards Christian unity. That's our main goal here. It shows how the two lungs of the church, East and West, so often arrive at the same point, but from different perspectives or complementary perspectives. And those perspectives are oftentimes a difference or a matter of, as they always like to say, an emphasis. So you have a perfect example here. The Latin Rite Church, the Western Lung of the Church, refers to this event of Christ being carried into the temple and presented to Simeon as the presentation. Exactly that, the presentation. And in fact, even the Byzantine iconography, you can see the images look as though they are presenting Christ. And Joseph and Mary are presenting Christ to Simeon. Simeon is receiving Christ in his arms. But the Eastern Church prefers the emphasis of encounter, and that's very characteristic of the Eastern Church. We like words or concepts, realities, such as encounter, participation in, a making present, making the invisible visible. And both ways of approaching this event, as always, are equally valid. It's just interesting how we can approach them from different angles from different ways through their different emphasis. And it really is something where we find a certain completion by the fact of having two approaches from two lungs of the church on a lot of these theological concepts, a lot of these moments from the life of Christ. Because, let's face it, these magnificent moments in the life of Christ, which are really our moments and for us, they're like a multifaceted diamond. There's so many ways you can look at it, so many beautiful facets of the one event, that one diamond. And in fact, the church in her liturgy, both East and West, and in her iconography, her art, does in fact express it from different angles or emphasis. It really is like a diamond, like looking at the many facets of a diamond. One diamond, but many facets. And that's what makes a diamond beautiful, let's face it. It's all those facets shimmering, reflecting, and absorbing light, and making all kinds of beautiful colors and bright, sparkly kinds of things that we know diamonds to be, that the beauty of diamonds. So same thing with the church. These moments, these events are like a diamond with many, many facets, but it's yet the same one diamond. If we look at the way that we approach this in the Eastern churches, as always, we always look at not only the historical development of a feast, but also how we express it liturgically. So for the feast of the encounter of Simeon, the encounter of our Lord Jesus Christ with Simeon in the temple, there's a few things that help to convey the emphasis of the East 
And we see these things in the liturgical expressions. One of those expressions comes from the Vespers, which is actually Sunday evening, the night before. It says, The very splendid bridal chamber and precious tent, the holy and spacious temple, is bringing Lord inside the chamber of the temple. He solemnly betrothes himself to his precious temple, which is truly the Theotokos. She always prays that they who unceasingly glorify her may be delivered from corruption and dangers. You notice the imagery there, bridal chamber, precious tent, spacious temple. These are images from the Old Testament, which, of course, as always, they prefigure the mother of God and Christ. The whole Old Testament is about two people, Jesus Christ and his mother. That's right. The tent was the meeting point between God and the Jewish people. Remember, the dwelling tent was a place that God commanded Moses to erect so he could meet them. God would meet his Jewish people, his chosen people, in relationship inside that tent, and usually there would be a big cloud that would occur. So they would meet in the cloud. They meet God in the cloud inside that tent. So that tent later on gives rise to the temple. We just heard that reference in the prayer, spacious temple, which eventually gives rise to the Christian church or temple which ultimately has its meaning in the mother of God. It's a symbol for the mother of God because within her was the meaning point of humanity and God of heaven and earth. So she becomes that spacious temple, that mystical temple, bringing the Lord inside the chamber of the temple. He solemnly betrothes himself to his precious temple. There's a beautiful reference there to the fact that Christ's relationship with us, as St. John Paul II said so beautifully in his whole Theology of the Body, that whole relationship can be seen analogously as a spousal relationship. In a sense, God creates us as his bride. All of creation, in particular the human person, and most particularly the church, becomes his bride in terms of an analogy. We have to search for analogies to explain such a great mystery, such a great outpouring of love, and such an intimate relationship between God and us. We can only do it with analogies. So we draw those analogies from the Scripture. The analogy of God's relationship to us is oftentimes described, and most beautifully described, as a spousal, a nuptial relationship. And the Church picked that up in her art, her liturgy, her architecture, her spirituality. And here it is in the words of of the liturgy, the Vespers, in the Byzantine Church for the eve of February 2nd, which, of course, is the actual feast of the encounter of our Lord with Simeon in the temple. I'm going to look at a couple other verses here that are very rich and very interesting. One of these is this verse, which gives a very comprehensive presentation of the totality of the incarnation. This is what we pray. Search the scriptures, as Christ our God said in the Gospels, For in them we find him who was born and wrapped in swaddling clothes, the one laid in a manger and fed upon milk, who received circumcision and was carried by Simeon, not in fancy nor in imagination, but in very truth has he appeared to the world. Let us cry out to him, glory to you, O pre-eternal God. Here's another prayer from the Matins. Let the heavenly hosts marvel at this mystery and let those on earth praise in song as we behold the ineffable condescension of God. He is now embraced in aged arms, the one before whom the powers of heaven tremble, the one who alone loves all. Now, if you've listened to our program any length of time, especially in the last few months, you would have heard us refer to this word condescension of God the ineffable condescension of God, as it says in the prayer here, because that's exactly what the incarnation was. God condescends. He lowers himself. He bends the heavens 
to come down to become what we are. The creator becomes the creature while remaining the creator. A marvelous mystery, an incomprehensible, incomprehensible. That's why we use the word ineffable. We like to use negations in the Eastern churches. We like to arrive at trying to say who God is by saying what he and who he is not. In a way, it's a negative affirmation. He's invisible. He's ineffable. He's immeasurable. All these negations, we're saying what he isn't, which actually gives us a better idea of who he is. In other words, if we know that he's immeasurable, infinite, then that negative becomes a positive. It becomes a positive knowing just how great he is, how transcendent, how beyond he is. So to describe in the negative is a good way of at the same time describing God in the positive. There's so much we can know about God because he has revealed himself, yet there is so, so much that always lies beyond us. We can never know him totally in his essence. We can only know what he has revealed to us. And certainly has revealed himself in many ways, in a big way, through his incarnation. The season of which now concludes with this great glorious feast of the encounter of our Lord with Simeon in the temple. We're going to talk more about this baton race when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I am inviting you to the third annual women's retreat where I will be the retreat master for the Genius of Womanhood at the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation Retreat Center in Cary, Ohio. Friday through Sunday, March 6th through the 8th, the third annual women's retreat, the Genius of Womanhood. More details, contact Joan Washburn at 419-798-9107. The Genius of Womanhood at the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation Retreat Center in Cary, Ohio. Friday through Sunday, March 6th through the 8th. You are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. 60491 and may God grant you Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host, and I'm very glad that you are listening. Always glad to be here with you. 
I want to let you know about something you have been hearing about, but I'm going to talk a little bit about it now because it's, I think, a very significant event, something that can be very helpful to you, especially you ladies. And that is a retreat that I will be directing called the Genius of Womanhood, a third annual women's retreat. It's called third annual because it's the third one that is put on by this particular group, which is going to be held at the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation Retreat Center in Cary, Ohio. That's near the Toledo, Ohio area. Friday to Sunday, March 6th through the 8th. March 6th through the 8th. I'll be the retreat master, as I mentioned, and through the teachings of St. John Paul II, the Eastern Christian spiritual and liturgical tradition, and the scriptures. This retreat will be an immersion into the mystical why of womanhood. It is only when we come to know the real why that we can come to know the how of being a woman. Now, someone might ask, well, what is a male celibate priest doing leading a retreat for women? Well, first of all, you should come and see and find out why. (laughs) But I can tell you a little bit. It would make perfect sense because what we're going to talk about is womanhood in light of God. And a priest should know something about God and something about the order of creation, especially a Byzantine priest, because we like to take that mystical view to the order of creation, which includes womanhood and manhood and children and dogs, and cats, and trees, and flowers, and lions, and tigers, and bears. Everything in creation is seen mystically. And that's how we come to know the why behind it, which leads us to the how. How to be those things. How to be a man. How to be a woman. How to be that for each other. Again, this is going to be Friday to Sunday, March 6th to the 8th. If you want to find out more about it or register, you can call this phone number. The phone number is 419 798-9107. That's 419-798-9107. You can also email, her name is Joan, email joan at washburn.joan5. That's the number five. Washburn.joan5 at gmail.com. Washburn.joan5 at gmail.com. Again, Friday to Sunday, March 6th to the 8th, 2015, in Cary, Ohio, The Genius of Womanhood, a retreat for the ladies that I will be directing. We're going to be praying in the Byzantine style. We'll have some quiet time, time for confession, time for reflection, time for counseling, time for discussion, time above all to just open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. I am technically listed as the retreat master, but the real master of any retreat is the Holy Spirit. And that's why we all come with that openness to the Holy Spirit. So, I'd like to see you there, March 6th to the 8th, Friday to Sunday, the Genius of Womanhood, Cary, Ohio, Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation. As I mentioned, we're having a baton race here, a liturgical baton race, where one runner starts to run before the other one catches up to him so that they can keep the momentum going and then pass the baton. So the season of the Incarnation is running now to its end to pass the baton to the season of our Lord's suffering, death, and resurrection, which begins with the Lenten season. And that begins with a pre-Lenten season. So we have to pass the baton. So the pre-Lenten season has already started running. It started running actually last week. And here we are with another bit of the run. And that is the Sunday of the prodigal son. It's interesting in this story, the prodigal son, a story that's one of the most moving and probably well-known in the scripture, that it comes as a preparatory Sunday before Lent. Now, there's a couple reasons for that. One reason is because the theme is about conversion metanoia on the part of the son. 
you know, the prodigal son, who eventually comes to his senses and returns back to his father. And the theme of metanoia, which really means, it's a Greek word, which means to change as a result of knowledge, of knowing. In other words, to make a conscious change. We sometimes say it's a change of heart. But when we talk about the heart, remember, when we talk about the heart liturgically or scripturally, we mean something much more than just a seat of emotion or feeling. We mean the very core center of a person's being. So it is a change of heart in the correct sense, in the biblical, scriptural, liturgical sense, but it's also a change of the mind, a choice, an act of the will from having come to know or having come to, for having come to our senses. In fact, that's what the scripture says in Luke's gospel, the story of the prodigal son. He came to his senses, which refers to the mind, but also connected to the heart. In other words, in the very center of his being, he came to an awareness, a reversion, and he turns back to his father. The other part of the story makes us mindful, and and very appropriately so, because we're coming to the Lenten season, makes us mindful of the compassion of the father, God's vigilance. This is very significant because as we're moving towards the period of Lent, we're going to go into a lot of repentance. We're going to become very, very mindful of our own sinfulness, and we're going to do just any amount of repentance. We're going to throw ourselves on the ground like during the liturgy of the presanctified gifts. We're going to prostrate ourselves. We're going to do the Andrew of Crete where we literally will do a couple hundred prostrations in one service. That's right. To the ground we go, our face to the ground not even worthy to raise our eyes to God. We're going to enter into a deep, deep immersion of repentance. But we would have no hope being so mindful of our sinfulness and being so repentant, we would have no hope of redemption if not at the same time for the profound love and mercy and forgiveness and vigilance of God the Father. So the Father in the Gospel is just as significant as the part of the metanoia of his son. The metanoia is very important too, because that's our part. But that part is dependent, so much dependent upon the love of God as seen in the Father. What's also very helpful about this, and this is why the liturgical life of the church is so helpful to us, so significant, so relevant, is that I think the image of the Father can be very, very helpful for many parents today. We live in a time when many parents are experiencing the pain, the pain of having their children, especially their teen or even adult children, who they tried to raise in the faith, took them to church, tried to do everything right, and yet that child has no use for church. That child does as the prodigal son did. They're able to look their parents straight in the face and just walk away without seeming to feel their parents' pain to walk away from everything that their parents held dear. Most parents of faith, the thing that they want most for their children, certainly that was the way with my family, with my parents. My father would talk about that all the time. He would say that his purpose on life, he had one purpose to be on this earth, and that was to raise children and to teach them the faith so they might end up in heaven. Most parents of faith, that is what they want most for their child. And they assume that that child will embrace that faith if they brought them up in the faith, they tried to show example, brought them to church, and so on. But many times, especially today, and no family can expect to be exempt. Maybe some families are, but we can't be guaranteed of that today. Maybe we could a long time ago, but not today anymore. We cannot be exempt from the fact that maybe somebody in the family, or maybe more than one, will just turn a very dead ear, a very hardened heart 
towards that faith that their parents so wanted them to learn and embrace. We have to understand the hurt of the prodigal son's father. When that son went to his father and said, Father, give me my share of the inheritance, what he basically said to his father was he looked in the eye and he said, Dad, pretend you're dead and just give me the money. Can you imagine? It's interesting that the story does not talk about what we would think the father's reaction should have been to the son. You know, slapped them across the face or something or scolded them or had some kind of argument with them or say, how dare you? There isn't any of that in the story. He realizes that the son has made his choice and he can't force the faith on the son. And so the father bears that pain in silence. He allows the son to follow his own choices, as painful as it was. Remember, he told his dad, pretend you're dead. Can you imagine that? You don't matter to me. Pretend you're dead already and give me my money. Could there be a greater hurt inflicted upon the heart of a father by a child? But parents today, fathers today, do endure this. And unfortunately, they endure it at the hands of their children, oftentimes their adult children. And these adult children seem to feel nothing, just like their prodigal son, of the hurt they inflict on their parents. Now, a person's not supposed to make a faith choice based on just the feelings of their parents, but surely there has to be some amount of that in the equation. But it seems like today, it's not even figured in on the part of many young people. I see it all the time as a priest, because I have to console them, counsel them, and offer them some kind of way of sifting through so great a hurt. So the father in the prodigal son story remains vigilant. In the liturgy, the Byzantine liturgy, we actually pray for the gift of vigilance. He remains vigilant as God remains vigilant to us. And he waits for the son to return. And when he does, he embraces him. A profound and moving example put before our eyes on this Sunday of the mercy of God a mercy that we are all completely dependent upon, especially as we enter into this time of the great fast, this time of repentance. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.